0: Listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Uh, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, uh, your complete cards coverage, and uh, we're broadcasting uh, maybe a little bit later than we normally do in the week, uh, partially due to logistics. Also, uh, we're only going to have one show this week with the buy coming up next week, but uh, we've got a big show ahead here because we'll be talking about the Arizona Cardinals' stunning 37-34 victory over the Seattle Seahawks, taking down the undefeated Russell Wilson, the first time in years that a team has been up on the Seahawks, at least at the end of the game, despite being down by 10 points or more at the half. Hasn't not been done since 2008 and 14 Super Bowl with Tom Brady. This is a colossal win for the Arizona Cardinals and their staff. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy 7. I'll be here to break it down with you alongside my uh, perpetual co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And, John, just the emotions, just the – uh, the response from fans from national news uh, everything about this game is probably cemented this is so far at least maybe the game of the year not just for the cardinals or for cliff and vance and kyler but uh, this is one of the most entertaining games in the entire nfl and it's like people are we're still talking about it days after it's
1: ended yeah it is the perfect way to kick off uh the bye welcome everybody good to talk with you on uh a- this week's episode of the ROTB podcast, I'm John Venerable, and you're right on, Blake. It is uh, a transcendent victory, and I don't use that term lightly. It's one that I thought they would have a chance to secure. I think my prediction last week on the pod, Blake, was something to the effect of maybe 32, 35, 34, 31. So that's close, um, and we both thought it would be a high-scoring affair, but I just thought, you know, dating back into the off-season. You know, if this team was going to have postseason aspirations, they needed to get the monkey off their back with Russell Wilson, owning them at the University of Phoenix Stadium, now State Farm Stadium, uh, dating back to 2012. Um, And so I I liked where this team was was heading after Monday night's game against Dallas. I thought the offense was starting to click. The defense was playing well, even without Chandler Jones. Um, I just had some concerns about, you know, Seattle coming off a bye. Arizona playing on a short week. And I think a lot of those nerves you saw early on um, with Seattle jumping out to a 21 to seven lead, but man, oh man, give the Cardinals credit. They took control of the second half. The defense played, I think it's best half of football all season in the second half and into overtime, allowing only seven points to the highest scoring offense in the NFL with what many consider to be the, the front runner for the MVP award. Um, as critical as we all were of Vance Joseph's defense in the first half, Blake, and they looked lost. They were on pace to give up the most yards in NFL history. They had 370 yards. That did the Seahawks through one half uh, of offense. The second half, they played as well as you could have expected. Without Chandler Jones, you you lose Zach Allen early in this game to an injury. Jordan Phillips is compromised. He has to leave the game. And all Arizona's defense does is hold. Russell Wilson to seven points through essentially three quarters of play. Um, it was an exceptional effort. It was a, it was a signature victory. Like you mentioned at Blake for Cliff Kingsbury for Kyler Murray to be on the national stage now two weeks in a row and to come out with victories over two pretty dominating presents in the NFL. When you talk about Dallas being America's team, I know they didn't have Dak Prescott, but that was a big victory on Monday night. Just, showcasing to everybody that really the Cowboys aren't in Arizona's class this year right Arizona just completely embarrassed them uh, through four quarters of play and then to come against Seattle undefeated the the darling of the NFL right now with Russell Wilson on his terms I always joke that feels like Seattle's on Sunday Night Football every other week and to come and outplay Russell Wilson that being Kyler Murray 34, 48, 360 yards, three touchdowns. He did have the one interception, still had a quarterback rating of one Oh four. And then to run for 67 and a touchdown, he's, we just found out this morning, Blake is the NFC offensive player of the week for the second time in, in three weeks, right? He was the NFC offensive player of the week, I believe against the New York jets. It has been a maturation process that Blake admittedly, I did not think would come this quickly. And now we see a team that's playing with a lot of confidence, that's getting healthier around the bye, that's got an opportunity not only to make the postseason, but to be a threat now in a division where they are suddenly 2-0 and and have scored, tied for the most amount of points scored. They're second in total offense right now, second in running the football. I mean, there there's almost too much good to talk about. Um, And it's hard to even know where to start, but I I will end my little opening rant with this. The Cardinals have an opportunity with Kyler Murray to solidify themselves as one of the young brands in the NFL in the same way that we've seen Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens take that step. Obviously, Kansas City was relevant before Mahomes, but they, they took it up to another level when Patrick Mahomes arrived. The Cardinals now have an opportunity in a, in a NFC that's, you know, it's got some middling teams, but you know, outside of Tampa, nobody certainly seems unbeatable, you know, can this Cardinal team with a lot of high end talent that's still by all accounts, rebuilding the roster, make a, make a move to be a division winner, an impact team in the postseason? And I think by all accounts, after we saw what we saw Sunday night is they're going to be a factor the rest of the year, Blake.
0: Yeah, when your team is 5-2 and two and they have a week, uh, right now week 8 bye, I believe, the Cardinals have the opportunity to be a difference maker because, again, you know, expectations set up differently for each of those. I think most people are looking at Arizona now, going toe-to-toe with the Seattle Seahawks that many called the best team in the NFL, are now looking at them as a uh, playoff contender where that's now the expectation. And uh, for me, as far as this game specifically, John... <laughs> To me, it feels like this was more of one of those birth of a legend types of games. It was in front of a nationally televised audience. It had a whole lot of hype. A lot of people had not really been aware of what Kyler was doing in the desert. It reminds me a lot, honestly, of if you look back to 2012, uh, there was a game between the rookie Russell Wilson with the Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots. Where they were, uh, I believe it was three and two against a three and two team. The Seahawks scored the final 14 points. There's a 46-yard touchdown to Sidney Rice with 118 left. They rallied back from down two touchdowns. Russell Wilson outdueled Tom Brady, and that was while it wasn't, you know, a nationally televised game. I believe it was still the game of the week. Uh, on Fox, So that was kind of one of those birth of the legend games like oh, holy crap like this guy just went toe for toe outplayed Tom Brady. Uh, what what is this Russell Wilson third round pick kid going to do that was I think the time at least where everyone started to look at the Seahawks as far as this kind of birth of their new franchise this birth of. Uh, Uh, You know, what we've now come to see as the Seahawks dynasty, I think uh, for me, John, a lot of it seems to be that there's similarities between that and this game, because instead of it being Russell Wilson outdueling Tom Brady, you're talking about Kyler Murray going and outdueling Russell Wilson. Uh, as well as being able to see a defensive performance from the Arizona Cardinals that we'll be able to get into. But that was what I felt like was the biggest takeaway overall. And now, uh, like you said, it's hard to find things that are negative. We'll we'll get to some of those. There was areas like coaching decisions. There's also going to be, you know, questions at least about the defense. Currently, the Seahawks are the worst defensive team in the NFL as far as yards per game. They're giving up an average of 479 yards per game. So uh, like you said, John, this is a game where, the Cardinals had to throw the ball. We saw Kyler Murray do just that, throwing for uh, 360 yards, throwing for three touchdowns. Uh, he also, I believe, is the first NFL player to also run for more than 50 yards and to score. You, you had uh, Car- you had him and Wilson, I think, were accounted for uh, 1,091 yards of offense. Uh, it was the a huge offensive explosion that you saw, at least tons of points. Um, it wasn't even as much that the Cardinals' defense was – poor a lot of it ultimately came down to what we can talk about here is the the stunning play of tyler lockett going off for 15 catches 200 yards and three touchdowns it was the biggest offensive explosion in a game uh, since that 2013 game between the uh, philadelphia eagles and the oakland raiders so like taking it back very very different game very different situation we're talking about um believe it was the one wide receiver, at least for that one at the time, who was there was playing quarterback for the uh... – for the Raiders at least, i have to remember for all of that. But it was like, and then Nick Foles and Chip Kelly were on the other end. That was the seven touchdown Nick Foles game. So when you're talking about, you know, this is a very different type of game. It wasn't like it was a complete blowout where you're talking about with, uh, like that was where everyone's like, oh man, look at this, this Nick Foles, Chip Kelly pairing. This is going to be elite for years to come. Uh, it was much more of how poor the Oakland Raiders did. And it was uh, Terrell Pryor, that, that's who it was. Overall, John, this is something I think what we've hoped for and expected as Cardinals fans. We've wanted it to be a spot where this team has gone past the point of potential, the point of saying the Cardinals have arrived. And I think that maybe it's not to say that that's it's too soon, obviously, because there's still plenty of ways the season can go. But it certainly did feel like in the national spotlight for the second week in a row, the Arizona Cardinals delivered. And that is a huge step forward for this franchise that typically has always shrunk away from the spotlight whenever they've been in. And I think that says to me a lot about uh, the leadership on the team, but especially the fact that when you've got a quarterback who your team trusts, who believes in and can put the game on his back, it means pretty much everything in the NFL.
1: Yeah, you said it, Blake. It, the mindset of this franchise changed when they secured said Kyler Murray as their franchise quarterback. And even last year when they were on national TV against the uh, San Francisco 49ers on I believe it was Halloween on that Thursday night I mean the Cardinals played well enough to win that game they, they jumped out to a big lead they were competitive San Francisco was undefeated the Cardinals really had no business being in that game and yet Kyler got to the point where they he almost pulled it out with that long pass play to Isabella but coincident, not so coincidentally the defense couldn't get it done like they're getting it done in, in 2020 this year it's almost like it's expected that not only the Cardinals will play well on national TV, but they'll find a way to secure a victory. They're two and all on national TV. They've already had, think about this, Blake, seven weeks into the season, they've been playing well enough. They've already had a game flexed into Sunday night football when they otherwise weren't scheduled to have a game before the season. And something tells me that might not be their only Sunday night football game when you think about, you know, closing out the year against the Rams and the 49ers, we will see. But uh, Kyler changes the whole perception of this team. He holds this team to a different set of accountability than either quarterbacks or coaches from the past have done. he gives them legitimacy around the NFL. I mean we saw him go after Daryl Daniels for missing a key block on the outside that would have sprung, I believe Hopkins on a screen pass that ended the drive. I mean, Kyler just has a, a sense of competitiveness that, you know, really only has been, I think, Challenge by by Larry. It seems like throughout the duration of this this Cardinal franchise this iteration of the Cardinals since Michael Bidwell took over as the owner. I mean they've had a lot of great players. They've had a lot of elite competitors Calais Campbell's the Darnell dockets the Adrian Wilson's Kyler Murray just because he's the quarterback though having that mindset at the quarterback position and this is not to downgrade what Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer have done for this franchise in the past, but they were limited as athletes especially by the time they arrived in Arizona. The Cardinals have never been in a in a position to have an elite player at that position of quarterback that is the, you know, all the rage in the NFL now at 23 years old at their disposal with a coach that knows how to get the most out of him and we're seeing that really start to blossom and come to fruition here, you know, 23 games into their NFL careers that being Cliff Kingsbury. So I, they're just they're in a precarious position that they otherwise have never been in before. They've never had a young franchise quarterback that has been unquestionably top 10 in his position. I mean, you, you'd have to go back to the Neil Lomax's of the world in in the 1980s. But, you know, that team was if you, if you don't remember, if you weren't around uh, consistently kind of a middling team right around 500, um, go back maybe to the 70s. Um, but nothing, nothing like with Kyler Murray. Um, so it's an unprecedented situation that the the quarterback just has so much effect on wins and losses. Now that when you have a star player like Murray, it it can elevate you from, you know, a dumpster fire franchise, which is what the Cardinals were the Cardinals two years ago with Wilkes and Rose and that whole debacle, they were starting out. And If you remember when we would do those podcasts, if you've been around that long, we would talk about this Cardinal roster as, as though it was a borderline replacement level roster. They had busts and misses and overpaid players up and down the roster and they got Kyler Murray. And yes, they've had two off seasons to, to give it a facelift, but I don't think anybody would look at this roster Blake and say, it's a top 10 roster. Maybe it's elevated itself into maybe top half of the NFL, maybe top 16, but you and I both admit consistently they've got some lapses at receiver that they could upgrade. They've got they've got some issues in their front seven. They certainly don't have any impactful defensive linemen to speak of as compared to other teams. They've got some question marks at corner. And yet here they are at five and two and, and maybe one of the best teams in the NFL or at least the NFC because of number one, because of what Kyler Murray's been able to do. He's on pace for a ridiculous season that's going to set all kinds of records in the desert. Right now, he's on pace for 46 touchdowns, Blake, 4,000 yards passing, just under 1,000 yards rushing. There's never been a player that, that have rushed for 4,000 yards, or, excuse me, passed for 4,000 yards, rushed for 1,000. It's never been done before. And every week that I keep thinking to myself, well, they're going to settle in more of a passing game. They don't want him to run as much. He just takes off and gets 70 yards a game, and it's like, oh, ho-hum. I don't even... I don't even remember him running that much, but he has, you know, a sneaky big game rushing the football. He's had a rushing touchdown in in every game. I think he's got something to the effect of averaging three passing touchdowns or two and a half over the course of the last three weeks when everybody said, oh, he needs to refine his ability to be a pocket passer. He completed nine balls on Monday Night Football because that's what the game called for. And he was amped up to play in his his home, home state, his hometown. And then what did he do? He came out, he completed 70% of his passes on Sunday night football, 34 completions, averaged 7.5 yards per completion for three touchdowns. Threw a beautiful touchdown pass to um, DeAndre Hopkins down the sideline, beating Quinton Dunbar, made plays with his feet when it mattered, hit Christian Kirk, who's become a touchdown machine, twice uh, for a a couple scores. I mean, just, it's unreal what he has done. He's transformed this team seemingly overnight. And now they're, they're one of the most Sought-after products in the NFL. I mean, they are going to be uh, a darling, national TV darling indefinitely. And in my opinion, Blake, and I, I'd love to know your thoughts. They are way ahead of schedule of where I thought they would be. I thought this year, and who knows? Th- this team could go with their inconsistencies against the 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 Carolinas and the the Detroits of the world. They could lose to to the to the Dolphins after the bye. Certainly within the realm of possibility. But I just think, you know, going into this year, I thought nine and seven would be a really good year. I still think that gets them into the postseason. I didn't think the NFC West would be this quite this difficult, but man, five and two and looking like they're just scratching the surface of their potential offensively, scoring 37 points against Seattle. I know Seattle's defense isn't great, but you still talk about the fact that you're going to get Max Williams back. You could probably develop more consistency with some of the secondary receivers outside of Hopkins. You know, we don't know the status of Kenyon Drake, but we do know that Chase Edmonds, when he's given the the opportunity, has been a big-time player. They've got maybe the, the most underrated aspect of their team right now is the play of their offensive line, which, by the way, has surrendered eight quarterback sacks on the season, the least amount of quarterback hits throughout the entire NFL, which is unheard of. I just think that when you project out for the rest of the year, They are certainly looking the part of a playoff team. And for somebody like me who follows the the Vegas odds, the win-loss records, the projections before the year, Vegas had them, for those of you who do not know, at the over-under was seven to seven and a half. Uh, They're going to eclipse that potentially um, in the next three weeks, which is unbelievable. So I'm excited, cautiously optimistic. But now I have renewed expectations, Blake, where this offense, which is what... We thought would carry them from the start of the year should consistently put up against these opposing defenses in the second half, 30 to 40 points per game. And the defense, just like Monday night, excuse me, Sunday night, just has to do just enough to give Kyler Murray and that Cardinal offense that extra possession to really, I don't, I don't know what the best term to use is, but really just to defeat the will of the opposing team. When Kyler Murray and this offense is humming and they have the ability to drop 14 to 21 points per quarter it is demoralizing for that opposing defense and the cardinal defense just has to do just enough to stick around and limit the opposing offense and there are going to be some daunting ones here in the second half for kyler murray and the offense to do their thing but you know, kudos to cliff and everybody else involved steve keim they're pushing all the right buttons right now blake and i think we're looking at a postseason berth here at the end of the year can
0: keep on schedule for the cardinals the way that it's been going Uh, they're going to finish is probably around uh, a top five offense like we predicted that they could be at the beginning of the season Uh, currently john right now like you talked about the offensive line uh, they burn number one in terms of pass blocking and number two in run blocking in the nfl uh, that was one of the things I think that we've said has been a uh, pre- uh, pl- not just a pleasant surprise. It was something we saw hints of last year. Uh, the biggest thing that's changed overall has been the number of sacks that Kyler Murray has taken has drastically dropped. We're talking about how last year he had like you know I think it was 23 sacks or so. A lot of times it was scrambling. It does seem like in a lot of ways it's been very much on uh, him as well as some improved uh, coaching or improved play. Uh, hum- D J Humphries has had a fantastic last three weeks. Uh, we're talking about him going up against you know the likes of Alden Smith or Demarcus Lawrence um, you know the Seahawks don't have that good of ed rush, edge rushers but he's really been paying off in his contract Buda Baker has stepped up as far as the last few weeks where you know all it took for him to nab an interception apparently was to get surgery on his thumb to make it harder to catch the ball um, but overall at least it did feel a lot like I think they mentioned a big 12 game between Kyler and Russ and Uh, You talked about as far as the product. When the Cardinals have star players like that, and a lot of that does start with a star quarterback, it is going to help carry a lot of the other things on your team. And I I think that's part of where you don't want to necessarily – um, Overcredit Kyler Murray as far as being able to mention, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is number one in the league in receiving yards right now. The, the team made a lot of clutch plays. You mentioned Chase Edmonds, but it is something like you talked about how drastic it is when you've got a start at quarterback. Things go well for you, and that there's so much that you have. Like, give you give the stats earlier for Kyler. I don't know if a lot of people expected it would be a huge boom. I, I think what we've seen with these second year quarterbacks though is. This is kind of, I think, expected by a lot of people, whether it was in the fantasy community, uh, whether it was us. The difference seems to have been with Murray making a lot of these rushing plays because you look at that last drive in the game, Cliff Kingsbury felt comfortable enough to run the football, and it's really hard to say that many coaches, if any coach, would even be that ballsy. And he was the guy who basically was like, hey, I got a weapon at quarterback at least who can pick up, you know, 17 yards on a RPO. That's going to be a lot more effective than having to drop back, you know, 40-something times a game. I think it's been a spot at least where the combination has been working. A lot of that does hinge on the quarterback. But uh, the defense has taken up a much bigger step than we thought, John. Right now they're giving up only 10 points per game. Uh, They're still at least very high in sacks. They haven't been quite as high as some of the other defenses. They're still giving up a huge number of yards per game. Uh, A lot of that is due to a game like this against the Seahawks. Uh, let's be honest there. Uh, some of it, at least, you could also maybe point to some garbage time games against the Jets or the Cowboys. Uh, but the defense has taken a huge step forward, and a lot of that, I think, revolves around the fact that we saw a defensive transformation happen in two different places. The, the first was the additions of Jordan Phillips, Dre Campbell. Um, you can maybe say that some improved play of Buda Baker. Uh, really, it was also finding a solid veteran number two corner in Drake Kirkpatrick so that once Byron Murphy came on and could be, you know, in the slot where he works at his best, that kind of has seemed to have been the first transformation where it shows that the personnel that the Cardinals had last year with no Patrick Peterson, you know, Alfred missed the entire year, not having a linebacker with any athleticism who could cover guys like they do with Campbell this year, it shows a lot as far as for what Vance was trying to do last year where we knocked him, John, Was seemed like he was kind of trying to stop the bleeding as much. What I think you and I talked about, we discussed, we were like, hey, like, We don't care if you have to, you know, get burned on the back end. It was just so sickening seeing these soft zones, these four-man regular blitz packages, essentially just saying, hey, Chandler Jones, go out and make a play, force a fumble, because our guys back here, they're not going to be able to catch it. They're not going to be able to see the ball. And if it's third and long, you can probably just pass it to a tight end, or we'll have to bring an all-out, like everyone on the line, bring everyone, this take the quick slant. The thing that we wanted the Cardinals to be was a press man, aggressive defense that was able to then mix up their blitz packages to be able to baffle and confuse quarterbacks very similar To what Todd Bowles was doing back in 2014 and 2015, that was kind of the idea of, hey, like if Cardinals are going to be the we're not this 4-3 defense that has a defensive line you can rush. And, you know, the secondary, while it's good, it's not not like it's one of these elite secondaries like you looked at with how the Patriots have run or even how the Colts have uh, been so far through the passing game. So the fact that Chandler Jones then going down, forcing Todd Bowles to have to innovate to be able to blitz. And even in this game, John, we can talk about, there were guys dropping it seemed like left and right for the Cardinals. Jordan Hicks was hurt. You had already lost Zach Allen to an injury. Uh, you were having guys who were nicked up already in Richard Lawrence and others. Uh, Jordan Hicks, I think we said at least did go out. So you're kind of down to like the likes of the Tanner Vallejo. Uh, you are down to Isaiah Simmons being on the field and you saw uh, you saw. <clears throat> You saw time and time again Vance Joseph brought pressure from different places and angles. He confused Russell Wilson. They forced three picks in that game overall. And it felt very much, John, like that they finally, after all these years, we saying, hey, this is what we want the Cardinals' identity to be. It seems like they may have found that identity. And a lot of it is being able to utilize the players that they have, being able to utilize the mental game, and being able to realize, hey, like we're going to be aggressive. You may be able to burn us for yards, but we are going to force you to make Make mistakes. And as we've seen with the Cardinals offense, when offenses make mistakes, the Cardinals, you know, 99% of the time, uh, we're not talking about the, uh, this is the Buddha Baker, DK Metcalf. We'll get to that fourth down play at least with all of it. But that Cardinals offense will make you pay. And I, I think it's been interesting to see with how the air raid, what we talked about for so long, John, was how this is always a great rushing team. Um, they're the number one rushing team in the NFL. What we got to see in this game, in part, maybe some due to Seattle's secondary, but also just due to the way that the Cardinals were able to play, we got to see that passing game, that air raid explosion that we've been longing to see. And Kyler Murray gets that second offense, NFC Offensive Player of the Week award with that 360 <laughs> passing game. Ready. He completed 70% of his passes, and this is one week after he was getting knocked from people like sent mentioned. Um, for completing nine passes on Monday night football. So it's exciting because it's not just this, oh, the Cardinals are the future. It's kind of one of those, hey, like the Cardinals are the future and and the now is how it feels. And if you're a Cardinals fan, you get to walk into. See your Seahawk co-workers on Monday with a lot of swagger on your chest. And it's not something that we've really been able to see, not only at a nationally televised game, John. Uh, we haven't seen that at home for the Cardinals since 2012. And getting that monkey off your back, I think, is a absolutely uh, fantastic time for the Cardinals. Because, you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and his team just did something that Bruce Arians and those Cardinals teams never did. And that speaks tremendously, I think, to the team being able to finally build this winning culture long-term in the desert.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier, Blake, that the defense was a huge part of that. I think just the maturation process that we've seen from a lot of their young players, Byron Murphy playing well on a national stage, people may not know a good amount of the Cardinal defenders because they're not on national TV all that often, but... Murphy with his sack at overtime Fitz with his Kylie Fitz with his stop on, on third and two, I think was probably the the biggest play of the game up until that point allowed Cardinals to get the ball back and, and uh, drive down the field and get the game ending time field goal to send the, the contest into overtime, you know, players like Hassan Reddick who, who probably is the biggest surprise on the team this year, five sacks, really in limited time to start the year. He was a backup to Kennard and Chandler Jones. And now you look at him, he was all over the field on, on Sunday night. I think he had something to the effect of 11 tackles um, with five solo tackles, three tackles for losses, three QB hits. Um, he's on pace for a monster season. And if there's anybody I personally have to eat crow about, it, it, it was Redick. I thought that he was a complete bust. I thought he was somebody that didn't, deserve his roster spot or, you know, the salary he'd be paid here as a fourth-year first-round pick, 13th overall in 2017, and he's come out and shown that, hey, if you would have just left me at outside linebacker, defensive end, like I played at Temple, where I was, you know, an All-American for that team, I would have been good from the start. And, you know, shame on the Cardinals, shame on me for doubting him, and it really looks like, Blake, Arizona's going to have to have a big decision to make on Reddick by the end of the year. But, you know, let's just enjoy it now and, and make up for lost time. Uh, they, of course, made a trade over the last week that we have not yet covered. And Reddick will have a new running mate at outside linebacker, Blake. That, that being the former Cardinal, Marcus Golden, who comes to Arizona for a sixth-round pick in next year's draft. So if you're scoring at home, the Cardinals will not have a fourth, which was part of the Hopkins deal. Or a six, but they bring back Marcus Golden, who had 10 sacks for the New York Giants a year ago. Fast forward to this year, um, the Cardinals had interest in, in bringing him on board in the offseason. We had covered that extensively here on the podcast. They had been having conversations with him right around the time of the combine. And then once Devon Kennard was cut by the Lions, they pivoted. They thought, you know, Kennard was a better scheme fit. And it kind of left Marcus Golden hanging out to dry, in which he was transition tagged or some kind of finicky tag by by the Giants. Essentially, he got a one-year tag with the Giants that didn't pay him a ton of money. But he was brought back, even though James Betcher, his predecessing defensive coordinator, was ousted in New York. Joe Judge and, and his new staff were kind of unfamiliar with Golden. Golden comes in, hasn't been playing a lot, but when he has played, he's been effective. He has a sack and a half to start this year, and I've seen him make a couple flash plays uh, as recently as last week against against the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night football. Well, the Cardinals said we need more edge pressure help with Chandler Jones being out. We know that Marcus Golden, 3-4 outside linebacker, is somebody who has a familiarity not with Vance Joseph, but with a lot of these defenders. And we know Marcus is a human being. We know we had interest in bringing him back. So the Cardinals bring him in. To run, as a running mate with Redick, and you've got Canard now, you've got Kylie Fitz, you've got some now interchangeable pieces, and I, I think that brings it back to holistically where they were at their best, not only Sunday night against Seattle, but Monday against Dallas, where you're you're rotating a lot of fresh bodies. We haven't even gotten to Isaiah Simmons yet, and he could play more of a role now moving forward with Jordan Hicks's ankle injury. We don't know how long he'll be out. But being able to have a lot of interchangeable parts, it looks like that's when Vance Joseph is at his best. If he's if he's pigeonholed into you know three to four different players, it almost seems like he gets complacent. Whereas if he feels a sense of urgency with a lot of interchangeable pieces, maybe he's more likely to blitz. Maybe he's more likely to be aggressive. I mean, the the Vance Joseph that we saw in, in the fourth quarter of play in overtime is not one I've seen since his time in Arizona, and that's a good thing. I mean, the, he he was showcasing a lot of really. Uh, exotic looks, the, the non-blitzes that were coming off as blitzes, Byron Murphy, Buda Baker off the edge. I mean, that's that's what this Cardinal defense needs, and you hit the nail on the head, Blake. The soft zone needs to end. The Cardinals defense, they're going to give up points. They're going to give up touchdowns. They're going to give up long passes. I would rather trade those with also a combination of what we've seen in recent weeks, the takeaways, the interceptions, the forced fumbles, the what should have been the, the pick six by Buda Baker. Let's gamble a little bit instead of just death by a thousand cuts, because what it allows them to do is you you get beat deep. You give up a quick touchdown. It allows Kyler Murray to come out, score points right away to match them. Whereas what we saw against Carolina and to a lesser extent Detroit and their two losses this year, Blake, is the dink and dunks. Right. The slow, methodical drives that just deflate this team. And then the Cardinals offense having no time to put together any kind of rhythm, going three and out, and then it just, the cyclical set, the cycle starts all over. And so I'm okay. Well, I'm never okay with giving up points defensively, but I, I mean, the Cardinals offense took advantage of the fact that the Cardinal defense took some chances on Sunday night and they intercepted Russell Wilson three times. I don't know when the last time that that's happened, but I'm guessing it's been a little while. So give credit where credit's due. This is a unit that, is feisty enough to keep Arizona in it. Uh, we've been inundated with questions, Blake, um, and I'll let you speak to this should you know anything. But with regard to will the Cardinals make another move before the trading deadline? You know, we've got some uncertainties surrounding a couple of their defensive linemen. Um, anything of note? I, I can tell you I, I don't anticipate another move. I don't think that the Kyme the wants to relinquish any more draft capital. I think they like the group they have, and with getting Jalen Thompson back, presumably after the buy. Max Williams now should come back helping the run game as, as a blocking tight end. Um, I think if a move would be made, it would be maybe as a defensive tackle, you know, we've floated the notion of Quentin Williams. That's something I would explore. I don't think they have any interest right now. I think they like where they're at. Um, and they don't want to be in a position where they're pigeonholed next off season with, with no draft capital because, you know, Steve Kahn could look at, um, you know, a trade in the off season and ship out a second or a third round pick, um, rather than trying to secure a rental this year. Marcus Golden's a different story. It was a six-rounder. It was a throwaway pick for a player that can come in and help right away. It was a special circumstance, very similar to Kenyon Drake last year. And I think, you know, if, you're, if your GM shows confidence in you that they're bringing in outside help to, to surge a playoff run, that's got to be a good feeling for the locker room, Blake.
0: The Cardinals are going into their bye week with a win and it's let's not let's let's not also sugarcoat either. This is an improbable win. Uh, like, you know, I think someone even talked about with um, someone who sent me a gif after the game, one of my relatives, at least for that one, who's just like, wait, the Cardinals won that game. And then he like, sent like, the cronk from Emperor's New Groove like pulling down a map like, oh, you got me. By all accounts, it, d- it doesn't make sense. like How did they win that game in terms of Seahawks had like more yards, more points, more rushing? Everything that you saw in that game for the most part meant that the Cardinals should not have been in that game. They were down by 10, driving down, and uh, it all came down to former Cardinal Benson Mayo uh, at least kind of Jettisoned a bit of that, uh, you know. To start the game, the Cardinals, like we talked about, John, the expectation was they'd get down early, crawl back into it late. The question was going to be, was it going to be enough? Uh, Mayoa made it where they went from a field goal to a touchdown, helping set up kind of that last play. You mentioned that third and two. Arizona gets the ball back. Cliff chooses to run the ball with, uh you know, he's got their starting running back. Uh, Kenyon Drake gets hurt. Seems like he, since he did not go on IR, uh, we'll, we'll get to kind of some of the outlook near the end of the podcast. But they go to. Kyler, they go to Chase, they get it to overtime. Uh, we haven't even talked about kind of the coaching uh, debacles for some of the stuff that have gone on with all of that, where how they were able to ultimately pull that off. And essentially, uh, out, out Russell Wilson, <laughs> Russell Wilson has been the talk that most people have had. That was, I think, some of the the biggest storyline that I think that you saw overall was, in a lot of ways, uh, just the leadership of how Kyler Murray stepped up was the biggest story that I saw that I think locally people talked about. Uh, you look at that one horizontal pass play where the way it was blocked up was, hey, you've got three guys on this side of the field, two guys who are, you know, in Seattle defenders. There are two, like, th- you know, third and fourth string tight ends are in there up against KJ Wright. Uh, I think right. He obviously, like as many people have said, it's one of the complaints that they had is Cardinals try to get some of these quick hidden yards at least out of Hopkins. You know he's very good at getting yards after the catch. Try to get two blockers on two guys. Hopkins makes a guy miss. You can hey like this is a short easy completion for potential big gain, and it's not a running play that has to you know put a whole bunch more hits onto your main ball carrier. Uh, He sniffed it out. The guys did not block him. It looked like on part of it was either a timing or effort. Kyler just went off on those guys on the sideline and some people were like um like wow like this is just kind of crazy and i think it's that kind of fire that you really ultimately need as far as to be able to demand more from some of the players is one of the biggest things because it then also shifted to kyler demanding more from cliff kingsbury at the end of the game uh, post-game interview, um, kind of get into some of this now where uh, they're lining up at least for that field goal. We can talk about the decision and the process behind that, John, because that was something at least that was – Cliff got raked over the coals on that on social media. And then when the Cardinals did get to overtime at least, it was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, maybe we're not – hard. you know, we weren't too harsh on them. They were able to get to the fifth quarter and then raked over the coals again. Uh, part of it was just because Kyler and Cliff were talking on the sideline about something – they completely missed botched the time that was going to be left on the clock for that kick and seems very likely what they were talking about was probably what cliff said after the game the kyler said hey like you went conservative here don't ever be conservative again i I, i've got you i'll I'll be able to deliver and i think that was a learning step at least for kingsbury because imagine you know being able to say to you know after a nationally televised game of which you win saying, yeah, I basically screwed up and failed for all of that. And this is what my quarterback had to call me out in a way for all of that. And, you know, it's like, that's your coach. Like, are you going to talk to your coach like all of that? And I think some of it, at least ultimately, John, we say is it's less the idea of a – Uh, a player's coach or this guy who kind of lets people run over him, but more it's about the humility to be able to admit when you're wrong and make a change and move forward. And we've seen that from Kingsbury. The Cardinals have been using a lot more pre-snap motion. We've seen a lot less in terms of how that horizontal passing game has been going. They've been pushing it vertically more to Hopkins. It's like that there's kind of been this evolution that the team has had. And there's been this evolution of Cliff Kingsbury as well, to the point where we've gone from – You know, this coach who ultimately has been uh, convicted in what he's going to do, trying to say, hey, we're going to bring in this air raid passing attack with 10 personnel to running the number one rushing offense in the league. We're seeing that even expanded on this year. And I I think what it kind of shows overall, John, you you can catch more on this, is I I think it does kind of cement that Kingsbury isn't just kind of this flash in the pan offensive coordinator type. I, I think that he's, kind of showing that he's a legit coach for the Cardinals not just as far as on the offensive or the defensive side I think that it's one of those areas where it's kind of a, as much of a redemption story as it is for Vance Joseph a lot of this I think is still a redemption story for that same Cliff Kingsbury who you know last year against the Niners in a nationally televised game they called uh, timeout on a fourth down play, blew that call, the Niners scored again afterwards. We have not seen like any kind of real true coaching debacle up until this point with that kick on second down that turned into a miss by Zane Gonzalez. And fortunately he got his redemption, but that's what I think is kind of the focus on here is there's going to be a lot that we can't really just praise Cliff for all this stuff without still criticizing the fact that he almost cost Arizona the game in regards to those calls at the end.
1: Yeah, and I'm not critical, Blake, of the fourth down call after the Buda Baker interception. I would have made the same decision. This is Seattle, this is Russell Wilson. You gotta come out. Field goals aren't gonna beat them. Um, you need touchdowns. And with the way the defense was was playing at the time, you know, Seattle was driving at will. You, you had to it was, you know, you had to be able to take a, a left hand from Tyson and, and return one and and I think going for the touchdown was the right decision. The play call I, I didn't love. Uh, I do know that Kyler Murray, I think on third, second or down or third down, had an RPO. Had he kept it, he would have had a walk-in touchdown. So, I mean, that's second down. Yep.
0: He ran left. I think it was that they had, uh, he handed it off to Kenyon Drake. Uh, he likes to run left. As some people know but he doesn't seem to run right as much. On third down, I went back and rewatched that uh, play. The Seahawks, uh, the way the play was designed, it was a run to the left for Kyler. They kind of read part of it. You can kind of see with how Justin Murray was playing right guard. He's supposed to pull, block the guy who's coming in to make the tackle on Kyler. He was slow. He was just round, didn't get there in time. And some of that maybe you can say is uh, half of it Maybe hey, you've got a guy who's maybe not your normal guard. Maybe you say, hey, he's just maybe not as... Uh, athletic or maybe a space pulling guard. He was still blowing Seahawks off the ball a lot of that game. Or just also great play by Seattle to sniff that out. They got there too soon. Kyler wasn't able to run it in. Uh kind of pulls it up and gets tackled for loss. That fourth down play, John, was a mesh concept which is supposed to be you know you get two guys crossing the whole idea is if you're a man covered guy someone's going to end up getting left behind and someone's going to get wide open Um, you had that play was designed looking at it with where kyler was looking to christian kirk uh he was in more of a window where it looked like that they were trying to run a concept that was to kill man coverage But it was a zone play. So suddenly Kyler pulls the ball down a bit where he's like about to throw, and you can see uh, that that window may be closed. You don't want to throw an interception in the end zone for all that, which I think part of that is I don't know if Kyler like forgot the down or what, or just didn't want to get away with no points. If you're going for it on fourth down at that spot, you know, if you turn it over, who cares? Like you're going to not get it for that. You got to go for the touchdown. So that was kind of one of those areas where. I think it was a mistake on Kyler. Uh, You also look at how the other concept, because Kirk was covered, DeAndre Hopkins actually was wide open. You can even look on the play afterwards. Like, he's running, waving his hand. But they blitz an extra guy on that right side of Kyler Murray. So Chase Edmonds picks up one guy on the outside. I think it was Edmonds, either Edmonds or Drake. guy kind of falls to the ground, so he's not as much of a threat about to get up. They blitz another guy coming at Kyler, and he's coming right from that area where Hopkins is. And so I think Kyler, this is a learning process, I feel like, at least. What he did was he went and went, all right, he spun, turned his back, figured I can spin around, kind of run, throw the ball to Kirk on this side. He runs, sees another Seahawk from that side who breaks free from DJ Humphreys. Uh, just a lot of time had passed when you're talking about like being able to make that play. He scrambles some 15 yards back, desperation heave that goes out of bounds. What I think that part of his game that you can still see that's developing is Hey, look, if you've got a guy who's rushing at you and blitzing you, oftentimes it means you got to throw into the blitz for all that. And I think Kyler's been scared a time or two by throwing it right to a defensive lineman by throwing into said blitz. So uh, for next time, I think it'll be great teaching tape. If he slides a little bit to the right, suddenly Hopkins has that angle that's away where that defensive back is not able to get it. He's wide open. You can hit him before that other zone coverage guy comes back. At least he's just – it was a play where I have no issue with Kingsbury both going for it, um, the Seahawks – even they went for it and got it on fourth down later in the game got that touchdown so it's like hey if they went for it on fourth down and uh, Tyler Lockett only gets one foot down instead of the two which seemed to just be like how magical his play was (laughs) that's the only word you can use to describe it then all of a sudden people are bashing Pete Carroll going front and fourth down, giving it back to Arizona. You're right. I think in terms of that, it was the play was right. The time was right. Uh, Seattle, at least adjusted, played well. Overall, Kyler didn't make as much of a play for that. I don't think that there's really that many issues we can have with some of it. And in a lot of ways, I think we've seen with how the Cardinals went front and fourth down this season. Yep, You're bound to miss one every once in a while.
1: Well, and I, I just think the, the regular, the, the regular season, the, the in-game decision in, I believe, the second quarter when that took place was the right move to be aggressive. And then Cliff walking it back in overtime when you've got a, a depleted, gassed Seattle defense and you're, you're gashing them at will with Kenyon Drake and you get conservative with Kyler. I mean, I thought that was much more of an egregious call. And again, I, I Cliff Kingsbury has earned my respect with his fourth down calls throughout throughout this year. So we can put that to bed. It was just a missed opportunity based on execution, and you needed to cash in with a touchdown after you know Buddha was was tracked down by DK Metcalf. The overtime call was disheartening because you're settling for a field goal that's by no means a gimme for Zane, even though he he had a clutch kick to end the game, regulation and overtime later on, but. I just I want to see this team continue to go for the throat. Seattle's defense wasn't stopping a nosebleed at that point. That kind of end around with Kyler that was looked kind of unconventional a little bit. I don't even know what to describe it as if they were just getting it in a better position to kick the field goal. But I would just continue to line up behind an offensive line that's, that's certainly a strength on this team. When was the last time we've been able to say that? And Ram Chase Edmonds down their throat, I think... There, he's learned from that, and thankfully he can learn with a W after this game. But I, I just think that that was a position in which he got cute and it nearly burned him. But I mean, he can send all of his thank yous to Vance Joseph and specifically a certain inside linebacker, Blake, or we think he's an inside linebacker, that came up with one of the biggest plays of the game, that being Isaiah Simmons, on that last drive for Seattle. I'll give the defense credit. They came out, they stayed aggressive. Seattle was moving the ball, but, you know, they forced Seattle to hold on the DK Metcalf catch and run. That would have been a touchdown. I know that was a gutting feeling. There was, I think, like three or four times, even in overtime, that I thought the Cardinals would inevitably lose. That was probably the biggest. The flag comes out. It's holding. So now you've got, I think, third and 16 in this scenario. And you've got Simmons, who had played up until that point, four snaps. He'd been on special teams. With injuries to Jordan Hicks, with Simmons' ability to be a plus defender in the passing game, he's out kind of in the middle of the field, shadowing Tyler Lockett. Russell Wilson drops back, throws for Lockett. Lockett's not paying attention. For the first time in the game, it seemed like they weren't on the same page. And Isaiah Simmons, the much-maligned eighth overall pick, snatches the ball out of the air, and really, that was, to me, the biggest play of the game, because... Had that been incomplete, Blake, and he just gets a hand on it, deflects it. You know, Arizona, I think, had maybe one timeout left at that point, and you would have been left with, I think, under a minute to play, 54 seconds or something like that. Seattle's got a good punter, probably would have put Arizona inside. They were at midfield at that point. I don't think they would have gone for it, but probably would have put Arizona inside their own 10-yard line. And that would have been a, a tall task to ask Kyler, even with the offense clicking as they were, to go the length of the field again, like he did at the end of regulation. Isaiah Simmons in that interception put the Cardinals in a position to win the game and sealed the victory. He got them in a position where really they didn't even have to, I don't even know if they threw the ball. They came out and did a couple runs to get themselves set up for this field goal and, and made it, Zane Gonzalez redeeming himself, I think from what, 44 yards out or something like that. But it was the Simmons interception to get them back on their on Seattle's side of the field so they could be methodical with the play selection, I think speaks volumes to his resiliency to be able to come really cold onto the field. It's like a quarterback coming in a backup and, and leading a game game driving touchdown, securing the victory. That's what I compare it to. So I know the the biggest question from that is, well, is he going to play more now, especially with Jordan Hicks being out? And I know that Tanner Vallejo played well, and I think they'll use a combination of guys. But goodness, with, with what we've seen in such a short time, and I know we, we like to think the Cardinals subscribe to pro football focus, but I, I also think that that can be overblown, especially with small sample size. But I, each of the last two weeks, Isaiah Simmons has played some of his best football and some of the best defensive football on the Cardinals roster. Now, again, it was in short shortened amount of time, but I, I just think that this young man right now, has a chance to be a lightning rod for this defense, this defense that's taking more risks, this defense that over the last couple of weeks, starting with the Jets game, is forcing more turnovers. They picked off Dalton, I think, twice on Monday night, at least once. They've intercepted now Russell Wilson three times in a game. That is what Simmons can do. He is a specimen unicorn at 6'4", 6'5", lightning fast. What we see from Buda Baker at the safety position I believe we can see that same versatility and athleticism at the linebacker spot from Simmons. So I'm excited. I hopefully this is the jumping off point for this young man and the Cardinals need him if they want to get to where they want to be as a franchise, maybe not this year, but I just think that, you know, I like Campbell and Hicks as players, but we saw with Hicks on Monday night, drop the interception. That would have been a pick six. They're not going to give you those plus plays. They're not picking off passes. They're not that kind of athlete. There's a ceiling with what they can do, and they have limitations. They're steady, they're veterans. That's why Vance Joseph loves playing them. But when you need a lightning rod of athleticism and just a a, what's considered to be a game changer, he was a game changer. He made those kind of plays every week at Clemson. That's what Isaiah Simmons is for. He's been on a pitch count. I say now turn him loose. I have no idea if they're going to, but I you know I'm just happy that he was able to do that in the biggest game of the year on a national stage in front of everybody that's been proclaiming him a bust. And, you know, hopefully it's a jumping off point, Blake.
0: As far as confidence building goes, I think that's huge because, uh, you know, and this is where I, we got a couple of uh, the messages or other stuff, at least there are people like, well, you know, Simmons wouldn't have, uh, you know, oh, or uh, I think it was CeeDee Lamb wouldn't have, you know, made that catch or something. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It's good. And I, I don't think it's any type of hate or other stuff. It's been more of just the concern of like, Hey, like he hasn't been able to get on the field, at least like with Byron and Kyler, there were struggles, but that was part of their development. I think this is a tremendous step for Isaiah Simmons' uh, ability to develop. And hopefully we'll be able to see him uh, at least in that spot, be able to get some of that confidence, get on the field more, because – A lot of what we talked about, John, was he was one of the better tacklers on the team, was graded highly. It was always the coverage that was an issue, and maybe some of it just does come down to being able to make some of those plays here like he did in college. I think that would be super exciting to see. Um, Overall, with how that uh, final play of that selection went, you know, it's a different thing that we're talking about. If the Cardinals drop that game, we get to talk about how it was a tremendous, entertaining game, how the Seahawks ultimately prevailed, and the fact that we don't, I think, is excellent for the Cardinals moving forward. I'm super excited, at least, John, to see uh, they have a chance. If they can be able to do – got two home games, so you'll have a chance by the next time you play Seattle. If you can be 7-2 and two and kind of steal one away from the Bills – And the Bills aren't a slouch, but if the Cardinals' defense is able to step up, get some turnovers from Josh Allen, uh, be able to get healthy over the bye, you mentioned uh, bringing in Marcus Golden to kind of fill this Chandler Jones role – I think that could be huge, uh, especially as if we start to see more of this blitzing-type defense. And we'll see where it goes. The, the, this team, I think, is in an excellent spot, a great place. I, I like you, don't think that there's many... Um many types of moves that the cardinals have left to make golden i think is the biggest one they did just bring up a another corner uh, uh bowsby at least seems like uh I, john I, I don't think it's it's not a good in, uh, indication for prince and Mukamara. unfortunately if he's still kind of on the practice squad and they're bringing another guy in uh to the active roster at corner over him uh, that may at least be, be a positive you're saying hey this guy's good enough that we want to put him here uh i think that the biggest thing if you look at when you talked about and we'll kind of end with some of this is do the cardinals have any trade potentials or trade possibilities you mentioned Quinn williams that would be kind of the one move i don't see happening i think part of it is if you're the cardinals and looking at What are needs that we need to have or address? It's more of a value, kind of like the way I would almost call it is you give up a first round pick from say, hey, he was drafted top three overall. Give up a first round pick for him. You get, you know, two and a half years left or so plus the fifth year option. It's like it's a value that you can make and it'll be a player who can make an impact. But at this point, I don't think the Jets are going to take anything less than a first round pick uh, or multiple seconds, which Arizona doesn't have. And I don't think that they trade him anyway. He's, I think, a building block that you have for that team to move around on defense and be like, you know, should the Cardinals in 2018 have, you know, traded away a guy like a Buddha Baker, for example, for all of that, who's turning out to be a star, but they're rebuilding. I, I don't think you do that at all. Uh, there are three kind of, I would say, home run, like go for it, all type moves that are there. That maybe you could make if you feel like, hey, this is our chance to grab a title. We gotta go for it. We have no idea what things are going to look like next year as far as with the offseason, because you never know. Like you look at the Niners Super Bowl last year. This year they're still winning games, but they just do not look like the same dominant team. So you're looking for a veteran player who's on a losing team that would be kind of like a home run move. And there's only three players that I could find who qualify for that in the whole NFL. And there's Stefan Gilmore the corner for the Patriots it's Grady Jarrett, the defensive tackle for the helpless Falcons, and it's J.J. Watt, who is the uh, obvious uh, legendary pass rusher from the Houston Texans. That would be a lot of, hey, we have to shift cap, move this around, have this, but then you're at least able to add a guy into your team who's an impact player, either from the defensive line or in the secondary being able to say, hey, like we can upgrade from Dre Kirkpatrick. The cost for that, John, I, it's hard to know what that would be because it's – Hard to know for all of that edition. most of those guys with the exception of Jarrett have their contracts up at the end of the year it's obviously just a rental so it's how much are you going to give up for a rental versus you know if the cardinals can cement a great player i think that the answer at least to that is hey if you can get it done for they only give you up a fourth rounder maybe you'll even say hey we can give you another conditional pick or if it's a salary dump i don't think that you're going to get that for one of those players it'll be much higher since they are a lot higher caliber of player but I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. It's just very hard to see that the Cardinals and Kime will take this young team, push all their chips in on this one year for a veteran, when they very well could be back in it next year, John, given the structure of this team and this defense.
1: Yeah, and they're good enough right now to make the playoffs with the roster that they have, assuming they don't suffer any injuries. They've got Jalen Thompson coming back, Max Williams. So, I mean, they're good enough. They're not a Super Bowl roster, we think, but they've got... Another offseason with Kyler Murray on his rookie deal. They can be aggressive in free agency again. They've got some money coming off the books, some dead weight that they can shed. So, I mean, this team should be better a year from now than they are now. But I can understand you know, the sense of urgency to want to push this team over the top. And I think that the Marcus Golden Edition is the right move to show your team that you're invested in, into making the postseason this year. You're not sitting on your hands and, you know, collecting assets or just, you know, letting the season play out. The Cardinals are... Absolutely better than they were a year ago, and they're taking advantage of the fact that you know the NFC right now. I think it has a lot of middling teams, and so we'll, we'll let the chips fall where they may with a lot of these you know division rivals. Everybody's got to play each other. The Cardinals are the only undefeated team in the division, so you know, I'm optimistic that this pay, this roster on paper is good enough to get to the postseason. And then you know you never know. Again, I think that Tampa is the clear cut you know best team in the NFC. I felt that way for a while. I could see Arizona knocking off any other team in the first round of the postseason if they get there. So they need um, to add some players, but now's not the time. You don't want to sacrifice, you know, short-term, you know, rentals. That's what the bad GMs do. That's what Dave Gettleman did last year. I think giving up a second or a third for um, the Jets defensive tackle. So I I just, I think that Kime has made a shrewd move. That's going to help. And then, you know, let's see some of these younger players continue to step up. And I'm excited for the second half of the year.
0: Absolutely, John. Uh, Cardinals fans, this week we got to finally be uh, feel similar to how Kyler Murray felt throwing that touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins. You had that smile on his face for that one. Uh, at times it felt like the things were going to get out of hand. I think of how that how viral the DK Metcalf run after Buddha Baker. We you know it's like that was probably like the fifth biggest storyline of this game for the most part. It was the biggest one, I think, nationally as far as even seeing people turn it into a meme. Uh, let's hope that we see a lot more success from the Cardinals the rest of the year. I'm uh, more success moving forward that will mean more prime time games as a result and hopefully be the turnaround that this fan base has been starved for for it feels like decades out here in the desert that'll wrap it up for us here this week on the revenge of the birds podcast i try to crank out this podcast as quick as we could we had some scheduling stuff earlier this week it was tough not being able to kind of celebrate with you guys earlier hopefully we found some new angles after this game was dissected to death Uh, there's a lot more angles that we're looking at now going into the bye week so we'll have at least one show for you next week uh, and we'll also be able to have more content on revengeofthebirds.com you can find the podcast on google play podcast spotify podcast apple podcasts uh, as well as wherever else you're looking for uh, kind of if you're looking for your podcast and it's one of the major sites we're there you can find us there uh, spotify i think is the one i forgot to mention there you can find me on twitter at blake seven john where can the listeners find you and your content if they want to dialogue a bit with you or you know send some uh you know uh, pictures of i isaiah simmons to john this week
1: <laughs> yeah you can find me at johnny Venerable on twitter you can also find me uh on revenge i also do a post-game periscope show on twitter so yeah catch us chat with us in the off or the offseason the bye week and uh, looking forward to a really successful second half of arizona cardinal football here in 2020 yeah.
0: ain't that the truth cardinals win and we will be back with you guys next week during the bye take care this has been the revenge of the birds podcast